In this lecture, I'm going to deal with the three remaining reactions of alkynes, namely the reduction of alkynes to alkenes, the deprotonation of terminal alkynes, and the rearrangement of alkynes to alenes. Let's take, first of all, the reduction of alkynes to alkenes. There are two reagents we can use to do this process. The first is catalytic hydrogenation, and the second is sodium in liquid ammonia. As we shall see, they give two different, slightly different products at the end of the day. Let's take a catalytic hydrogenation first of all. Just as we saw with electrophilic addition to alkynes, double addition to the triple bond occurs very readily. And if we use normal catalysts, such as palladium and charcoal with hydrogen, then what we do is we reduce our alkyne all the way down to the alkane. We cannot stop it at the alkene using those catalysts. What we need to do is to add to the catalyst some compound or compounds which will deactivate the catalyst so it stops halfway at the alkene stage. These are known as poisons of the catalyst. And there are two catalysts which work very well for this process. The first is palladium absorbed under calcium carbonate. The calcium carbonate simply acts as a base for the palladium, rather like the charcoal does with palladium and charcoal catalysts. But to that, we add lead ethanoate, or lead acetate, and also this organic base, quinoline, which is two benzene rings fused together with one of the carbons replaced by nitrogen. First time we've probably seen that sort of molecule. That is known as Linlar's catalyst. It was in discovered by a Swiss chemist in the middle of this century. The second one, which is sort of related to that, is palladium on a barium sulfate support, again with quinoline as the poison. Now we saw when we were looking at the catalytic hydrogenation of alkenes that the addition is essentially a concerted process. It is a syn addition. That is, we get the syn conformer first of all in acyclic alkenes, or in cyclic alkenes, we end up with a cis isomer of the alkane. And although we've poisoned these catalysts now, we get the same stereochemical result with these Linlar's catalyst and the palladium and barium sulfate catalyst. That is, the two hydrogens are delivered to the same side of the triple bond. And we end up, therefore, with the cis or the Z alkene. It's a very good way of making those alkenes. Now let's turn to the second method of reduction of alkynes, which is the sodium and liquid ammonium method. This leads, in contrast to the catalytic hydrogenation, it leads to the trans or the E alkene. What happens is as follows. An electron is added, first of all, to the triple bond to give this intermediate, something which you've not seen before in your course of lectures, I suspect. This is called a radical anion, because one end of what was the triple bond has a radical center on it, and the other has a carbanion center, an anionic center. Now these carbanions, looking at the carbanite center, first of all, these carbanions are very, very strong bases. And they will want to be protonated by anything which can act as an acid in the system. The reaction, remember, is done in liquid ammonia. Ammonia does have protons on it, say an H3, three protons. And this carbanion is sufficiently basic that it abstracts a proton from ammonia. So we end up 
protonating the covenon and getting this radical, which we'll deal with in a minute, and producing as a side product sodium amide, the sodium salt of ammonia, otherwise known as sodamide. Now, it's unusual for ammonia to act as an acid. You almost all know that ammonia is a weak base. But in fact, in this case, when it's presented with a very strong base, it will actually give up one of its protons and form the sodamide. We've now moved on then to a species which just has a radical center on it. What happens is, again, an electron is given up by the sodium to that radical, and we convert that radical center into, again, another carbon ion center. We have two electrons now on that carbon. This is just as basic as the first radical anion, the radical carbon ion. And so this again abstracts, like in the first stage, a proton for the ammonia to give another molecule of sodamide plus the final product, the alkene. And the question is, why does this process lead to the trans, or E-alkene, rather than the cis? Well, it believes that the stereochemistry stereochemistry is determined in this last stage, where the carbon ion is protonated by the ammonia. The carbon ion is thought of, can be thought of, really, as um, two electrons in a p-orbital, so that carbon of the original alkyne is flat, and the proton can therefore approach it from either side. And it does so such that the methyl group, which is on that carbon, gets as far away as possible as it can from the other methyl group on the adjacent carbon, which was the other end of the alkyne. And so purely for stomach reasons, we end up with the trans-alkene rather than the cis-alkene. And so we have two nice complementary methods, one to make the E-alkene, that's liquid ammonia and sodium, and one to make the Z-alkene, the catalytic hydrogenation. Now we can't use this sodium-liquid ammonia method for terminal alkynes, that is alkynes which have one hydrogen directly attached to the triple bond. And the reason for that is because we then will see a side reaction, and this reaction is the deprotonation of alkynes, the second reaction that I want to talk about of alkynes. If we take propyne here, we have a methyl one end of the alkyne and hydrogen the other, and we treat this with a strong base, such as sodamide, the thing that we produced in the last reaction. That is a very strong base because the, the, the amide anion wants to go back to being ammonia. If we treat that with sodamide, the amide plucks off that proton, that terminal proton, to produce ammonia and generate the sodium salt of the alkyne, the so-called alkynide or acetylide anion. Now you may ask, why is the amide base strong enough to deprotonate that position and, progen- and generate an alkynide anion? And yet it went the other way round when we were going from the carbanion on the double bond to the final alkene in the last reaction. Well, the reason is that in the alkynide anion, the two electrons on the end of of the acetylene are in an sp orbital, whereas in the carbanion generated during the sodium-liquid ammonia reaction, they're in an sp2 hybridized orbital. In the alkynide anion, then, they're in sp which has a greater degree of S character than the sp2 orbital in the previous reaction. S orbitals, as I've said before, tend to hold the electrons closer to the nucleus. 
And this is electrostatically, thermodynamically, a much more stable situation. And so the anion on an, in an sp hybridized orbital is more stable, if you like, than the anion in an sp2 hybridized orbital, and is therefore less basic, is less likely to want to be protonated to form parent compounds. Conversely, it is more easily to deprotonate. And we find that the uh, base strengths of sodomine is such that it would deprotonate an alkynide, but will not deprotonate an alkene. And that's why we get the alkynide in this case. Now we can use other strong bases, and very good ones for this purpose are Grignard reagents. If you take ethyl magnesium bromide and our propyne, for example, and mix them together, you form ethane. The ethyl magnesium bromide abstracts a proton from the al alkyne and forms ethane, and we end up with this intermediate, this acetylenic Grignard reagent, propyne MGBR. They may say, fine, is there any use for these anions? Well, they are actually very, very useful synthetically because they are quite good nucleophiles. For example, if we take the sodium salt and treat it, of propyne, let's say, and treat it with ethyl iodide, the acetylide or alkynide ion can displace iodide and we end up with a new acetylene, one with a methyl group on one side and an ethyl group on the other side. And we can do that with a whole range of alkyl halides. So we can generate a large number of internal alkynes from that one terminal alkyne. Similarly with the Grignard alkynide species, we can react these with carbonyl compounds, ketones and aldehydes. The addition adds on to form the alkoxy MGBR species, which the non-workup produces an alcohol. And we generate not a simple alkyne from that reaction, but an alkynyl alcohol. Again, you can see, we can add a number of ketones and aldehydes, we can generate a number of these species. And so synthetically, these anions are very, very valuable for making other alkynes. And since we can reduce alkynes, alkenes, we've seen, again, we can make alkenes from these species. So we have a wide range of synthetic possibilities from this reaction. Now, there is an older reaction which involves alkynide anions, and this was the reaction particularly of ethine, the parent acetylene, with silver nitrate in aqueous ammonia, or with cuprous chloride in aqueous ammonia. What happens there is we generate, in both cases, the dimetallic salt. We get Ag2C2 in the first case, and Cu2C2 in the second case. We get the ethine disilver ethanide and dicopper ethanide. Both of these are solids, and they precipitate out of the aqueous mixture. These are of historical interest because they used to be used for determining the, um, or for characterization of alkynes in the old days. They weren't used very much because these, in particular, these two are quite explosive and quite dangerous. It's quite interesting here that we're using a base now, ammonia, to deprotonate our ethine, which is much, much weaker than sodamide or a Grignard reagent. Now, the reason for that, and I'm not going to go into any great detail, is that we're not really deprotonating the parent ethine, but almost certainly some sort of complex of it with the metal ion. You can discuss that with your tutors in the tutorials at another time, and you'll come across that probably again later on in the first year and perhaps in the second year. And we now move on to the third 
of the reactions of alkynes, which I want to deal with, and that is the rearrangement of alkynes to allenes. And before we go any further, we have to define what we mean by the term allene. An allene is a 1,2-diene. That is, a compound with two double bonds in it. 1,2 related. Imagine you have a double bond with two substituents, one end of the double bond. You go to the other carbon. Instead of having two substituents on that end of the double bond, you have another double bond directly attached to it. That is called a 1,2-diene as you see here in this diagram. There are a number of ways of making 1,2-dienes from acetylenes or alkynes, but one of the ways we can do it is if we take this halide with an acetylene, alkyne, triple one there, and then the carbon next to it in a propargylic position, remember we dealt with the propargylic position in the spectroscopy of alkynes, we have a halide. And if we do a substitution an SN2 dashed substitution, which we've seen in nucleophilic substitution before, instead of the nucleophile attacking directly the carbon to displace the chloride, it attacks through the triple bond, we will produce an allene, a 1 2 diene. So that is one way of making these species. There are others, but that's one way. What is the importance of allenes? Well, what is it's really of theoretical importance mainly, I and mean they are used synthetically, but what is quite interesting is that they are molecules which have molecular dissymmetry. They are sort of asymmetric in a sense, we call it dissymmetry, because they don't have a chiral center, they don't have a carbon with four different groups on it. They are asymmetric by virtue of molecular shape. They are dissymmetric. And we can see that if we look at the orbitals involved with the two double bonds. If we have one double bond in the plane of the paper, then the two substituents will be at right angles to that, pointing in and out of the paper. The next double bond directly attached to it, the, the pi bond must be at right angles to that. We can't have it in the same plane as the first pi bond. You can't have that central carbon with two pi bonds in the same plane. There'll, there'll be a clash of orbitals. So it's at right angles to it, which means the pi bond is out of the plane of the board, which means the substituents at that end of the allene are in the plane of the board. So we have a, a twisted system, rather like that. And that twist in the system gives the molecule its dissymmetry. Now, as in this case, if we have either end of the allene, two different substituents, at this end, the left hand, there's a, a hydrogen and a methyl, which are not the same, and at the other end, there are hydrogen and a methyl, which are not the same, then that molecule can actually be separated into enantiomers. It is chiral, and it can be separated into enantiomers. In general terms, for these species to be separated into enantiomers, what we need, if we have to take a general allene with substituents A, B, C, and D on the ends of it, then A and B on one end must not be the same, and C and D must not be the same for chirality to result, for enantiomers to be produced. If A equals B, or C equals D, the molecule is not chiral, and we'll see why that is in a second. Now we can have A equals C, or A equals D, or B equals C, and B equals D. In other words, the substituents, this end, can be the same as substituents at that end, but they must not be the same on one end. Let's illustrate that with an example. 
Suppose we take the example we've got here, which is chiral, and we replace that hydrogen there with a methyl group. So we now have this end has two methyl groups. The other end has a hydrogen and a methyl group. We now see that has this molecule has a plane of symmetry through it. The plane bisects the angle between the two methyl groups, and the other end of the allene is within the plane, so it doesn't play any part in dictating chirality or not. And so the molecule has a plane of symmetry in it, and therefore cannot exist as a chiral molecule. This is the first type of molecule where you'll see that. Later on in your career, you'll find there are other types which do this, which are chiral by virtue of molecular dissymmetry, rather than by uh, having a, an asymmetric carbon in them. And that then finishes the um, chemistry of alkynes. We've seen that we can reduce alkynes to alkenes. We've seen that we can deprotonate al terminal alkynes to anions, which are very good nucleophiles and can be used to make other alkynes. And finally, we've seen we can rearrange an alkyne to these rather unusual species, these 1,2-dienes or adenes.